This morning, y'all were in grave danger, and you didn't even realize it. We had something that is the Baptist's worst nightmare. I, the preacher of the day, forgot my watch at home. And I got here, and I began to notice that that tan line was there, and that watch was missing. And I walked through the doors, and I said to somebody, I don't remember who I said to, I said, I've left my watch at the house. And y'all have somebody that cares for you. Sister Mary White leapt from her chair, leapt, all right, from her chair, hollered at me, you can borrow mine. I said, praise the Lord. Y'all got somebody watching out for y'all. Y'all got somebody watching out for y'all. I said, sis, it's all right. They'll put the clock up on the wall, but I put my watch down here so I can see it. Yes, sir. What's that? Nothing. That's right. That's exactly right. But tonight, praise the Lord, I remembered my watch. Y'all are in as near as much danger as you was in this morning. Um, and I just thought that was hilarious. Miss White normally is just real soft-spoken. If you, if you get to know Miss White, you know she's not very soft-spoken. She, she likes to speak her mind, and I love her, and she's awesome. And, uh, but you, you never imagine. I come through that door and I said, I forgot my watch. And it was just a Baptist uh, to the core reaction that you can borrow mine. She come running. Uh, it was great. So y'all thank her for that. I'm sure she'll appreciate it. But uh, tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16. We were in 15 this morning. And how many of you maybe know that daddy that's trying to carry it all by themselves? Like we talked about this morning. You know that daddy that's trying to carry those commandments, carry those commitments and Chase that career, chase those children, chase that marriage he's in, but he's never once asked God for the help. What daddy can't carry, God carried all the way to the cross. Amen. It was a good sermon this morning. I, I loved it. And that preached to me, somebody who wears a lot of hats, somebody who does a lot at his job, and somebody who does a lot in the ministry and a lot of things and a lot of uh, busyness and a lot of hustle and bustle. God thumped me over the head for that and said, you ain't supposed to be doing it all by yourself. You're supposed to be holding my hand. So that preached to me just as it preached to, I think, a lot. So uh, praise the Lord for what he did. We see in Acts chapter number 16, Paul finds himself a new partner. All right. This is one of the great uh, pharisaical, ecclesiastical, doctrinal, theological, add any kind of equal word you want to put next to it. When Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement, Paul and Barnabas got to the point where they said, we, we, need, to, we need help. You know, we, we can't keep doing these missionary journeys by ourselves. We're going to have to find somebody. And uh, Barnabas brought forth and, and candidated the name of Mark. And Paul did not want Mark to go with them. Paul uh, thought that it would not be best for Mark to go with them because Mark had quit and had bowed out on him in days gone by. And he didn't want to risk that happening again. Well, Barnabas, being Barnabas, being the Barnabas we preached about, he was standing up for Mark. He was just like he stood up for Paul. When Paul came to those apostles, Barnabas stood up for Mark. And we know in the Bible that the, it says that there was no small dissension between them. They simply came to a point where they could not serve next to one another. And I don't want to move past that or go past that without addressing it and saying that sometimes in ministry, it is okay to agree to disagree. Amen. It is okay to look at another man of God, look at another servant of God, look at another disciple of God and say, you have an idea that God's put on your heart and I have an idea that God's put on my heart and they're not in contradiction with one another, but we cannot dwell together in unity. So we disagree. And we know Barnabas took Mark and he went 
Uh, it's some different areas, and he still ministered to the Lord. But Paul would find himself with a new partner in crime, and his name was Silas. And Silas would be broken in uh, rather quickly, all right, as Paul uh, got, got, got involved in Acts chapter number 16, and as Paul began to do another missionary journey, we know that he has Silas right beside him. But also, we'll notice that the language of Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts, changes from third person to first person in these past couple of chapters. Now Dr. Luke is walking beside Paul. Luke is the writer of Acts, and he is now not saying they went here and they went there, but now he's saying we went here and we went there. Luke has now essayed to join himself to Paul, and now Luke is traveling with Paul. And you could imagine maybe that's something going like this. He probably looked at Paul and says, Mr. Paul, Preacher Paul, uh, Apostle Paul, if you're going to keep preaching, if you're going to keep going and opening your mouth... You better at least take a doctor with you. Amen. You better at least take somebody that after they throw them rocks, that can kind of sew you back up and put you back together. And after maybe you go in that synagogue and you open your mouth and you say a word for the Lord and they uh, beat you senseless, you need to have somebody that can help you keep these infections away and keep these things away. Dr. Luke had now joined himself to this band of brothers and they also find young Timothy here. So what I'm trying to get across is uh, Paul is now leading Luke, Timothy, Silas, and now they're now starting to gain traction, and they're now starting to uh, carry on to these new mission fields. And we pick up reading in chapter number 16, in verse number 16. Stand with me as we read our text. Praise God, we might stand for the whole message, because I think we sat down all through singing, all through offering, all through, so i got to get my time back somewhere, so y'all just be prepared. Acts chapter number 16, some of y'all scared to death. Verse number 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel... Notice he says we went. It's because Luke's joined with him. A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High, which show us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they called they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And they laid many stripes upon them, and they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely." who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Tonight I want you to ask a simple question. And ladies, don't exempt yourself from the message just because of the title. Are you a man of the prison or are you a man of the house? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the book of Acts. Thank you so much for all the things you did just to go after this jailer, just to go after this man. 
just to save him by your grace. God, I pray that we see your word for what it is tonight, pure and holy and directly related to us and our lives and our walk with you. God, I pray and I ask that you use this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I forgot my cell phone over here, and I usually keep it as far away from the pulpit as possible, but I've got some statistics on my phone that would be easier to read from the statistics themselves rather than write them all down and then try to read my own handwriting. How many say amen right there? Uh, If you try to read your own handwriting, it gets tricky sometimes. Um, So we know now that Paul and Silas, they begin to preach, they begin to teach, and we see this uh, damsel was possessed. We see uh, a young lady named Lydia get saved, and Lydia opens up her house to the disciples and says, you can use my house as a home base here in Macedonia. You can use my house as a home church here in Macedonia. As you guys need a place to stay, as you guys need a place to rest, as you guys need a place of safety, you can use my house. And they begin to preach outside around the areas around that town there. And we saw this damsel come into, come into play, and this possessed young lady uh, in verse <coughs> uh, 16. And we see the Bible says, and it came to pass, we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Possessed with a spirit. The Bible is clear that Satan has a lot, a lot, a lot, not all, but a lot of power here on earth. He has the ability to possess. He has the ability to work. He has the ability to perform. He has the ability to attack. He has the ability to control those who allow him to, or even those who may have just made one little slip up, one little mistake. And I would caution, I would caution, I would caution. I caution those teenagers. I warn those teenagers when they get into these horror movies and they get into these scary movies and they get into this area of Hollywood and they get into these little games they play and they get into the the danger of spiritual warfare there is so real. We play with it. We tamper with it. We joke about it. We don't think it's very real at all. We think we're exempt from it. We think we're protected from it. But you open up that door to the devil, he'll jump right in every time. This young lady had been possessed with a devil of divination. No doubt she would have been able to uh, predict the future maybe or she would have been able to uh, serve her masters by telling them where to invest or where to, uh, whether to buy this cow or that livestock or whether to do this or whether to do that. This young lady had power and it was all coming from the pits of hell. It was all coming from this demon possession. Never underestimate Satan. If it's me and you versus Satan, Satan's going to win. That's why we have to rely on God. That's why we have to rely on the blood of Jesus. Satan cannot even enter into the realm of competition when Jesus' name is mentioned. But if we try to do things in our own power and we try to do things in our own might, we will lose every single time. This possessed damsel would have had a real, sincere, satanic power. This was not something she was making up. This was not something she was just faking. This was not something that she was just doing to trick her people around her. This was something that was very real and very dangerous. And what was she guilty of doing? She, she had a distracting purpose. Look at verse number 17. What, what was she doing that was so bad? The, the same followed Paul and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show us the way of salvation. Now, when you look at that verse on the surface, it doesn't seem that she's doing anything that bad, does it? It doesn't look like she's doing anything that, that, that is really that harmful. But we know Paul hears this and he's grieved by it. He's upset by it. He has the spiritual discernment to know what's really going on here. You see, 
Her mission was the tactic we talked about last week when Satan tries to muddy the water, when he tries to stir up that dust, when he tries to make it that you can't tell the truth from a lie. When she would go before Paul, when Paul would go to an area to preach, she would run out ahead of them. She would go to the area and say, Hear ye, hear ye. Here comes the man Paul. Here comes these servants of the Most High God. They've come to show us the way of the salvation. She was associating herself and her abilities and her demonic possession with the message that they were bringing. So when Paul was coming and preaching the gospel, the people couldn't tell where it was coming from. They might have thought maybe it's coming from her power or she's got something to do with this. And they couldn't tell that maybe this is coming from somewhere totally different. She was simply trying to muddy the waters. She knew what they had was real. The demon inside of her knew the name of Jesus. The demon inside of her knew the gospel message they were preaching. They were doing everything they could to seek and distract. So my message there is if it doesn't necessarily, even though it may look good on the surface, even though it may have a surface value of good, even though it may have a surface value of truth, it's what the underlying purpose is behind it. And this damsel had a distracting purpose. Her only goal there was through the possession and through the demon that was inside of her was to distract and to divide and to make people question where this message was coming from because she had a reputation amongst these powerful people that she could predict and she could divine and she could prophesy and she could do these things. So when she was introducing the preacher, nobody could really tell where the message was coming from. So you see what the problem is with what's going on. So we see a defensive preacher. Look at verse number 18. Praise God for a defensive preacher. And this did she many days, but Paul being grieved, turned and said to her, no, what did he say? To the to the spirit. Paul knew. Paul had enough spiritual discernment about him to know where this was coming from, to know where that what this was going on. God gives his men, God gives his preachers a certain amount of discernment based on every individual to allow them to see danger coming, to allow them to see trouble coming, to allow them to read people. And they're not doing anything mumbo jumbo. They're not doing anything crazy. But the Holy Spirit inside of your preacher, the Holy Spirit inside of the men of God, the Holy Spirit inside of them will alert them to danger. It will alert them to something that's not quite right. It will alert to something that's not sitting quite well. Brother Frank said it best this morning. He said, I woke up with somebody on my mind. And, and you know, when they're a sister of God or they're a brother of God and they're a part of our family, you can feel it. Paul knew who that enemy was. He knew that even though on the surface he was saying, Hear ye everyone, hear ye everyone, the message of the Lord. They come to declare the way of salvation. He knew who was really behind it. He said to the Spirit, Come out of her. Look at it in verse number 18 again. And this did she many days, but Paul being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out the same hour in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice when this demonic's power, when this possession stopped the moment, the name of Jesus was mentioned. The moment Jesus Christ, in His name, in His name alone, there is power in that name. We could stop right here, shout a while, preach a while just on the name of Jesus. Paul knew that, that when he looked at that spirit and he knew who the bad guy was, that when he mentioned that name, that every evil and wicked thing inside of her had to leave. When he proclaimed that name over that young lady, that every evil and wicked thing had to leave. And it did. The same hour, that spirit came out of her because of a defensive preacher. But look... A divisive public. Look in uh, down <clears throat> in farther down in verse number 20, or excuse me, in verse number 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, 
they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. When her masters looked at her and she looked at them, and she probably gave them one of these, and it's gone. I, I don't know what's happened. Or they probably came back to her and says, tell us what this means. Tell us what's going on. And she's going, what are, you, what are you talking about? When they saw that Paul had cast this demon, had, in the name of Jesus, removed the satanic ability from her life, they were not very happy. And they came and they got Paul and Silas and they put them out into the marketplace. This is the, the ritualistic routine of Satan to get them out into public, to destroy their testimony, to, to get the people riled up, get the people worked up into a frenzy. It is not hard to get the people worked up into a frenzy. You can go and stand on a platform somewhere, name a few talking points, say a few things, wave your hands around, pound on some things and maybe make a big act out of yourself. And before long, you're going to have one or two people that disagree. You're going to have four or five people that agree with each side. Then you're going to have 50 more on each side. Then you're going to have what they call a riot on your hands. And that's what these people did. They incited this riot. And then the, the magistrates came and they're like, what's all the fussing about? What's all the fighting about? And, and they decided, Paul and Silas, go to jail. If we put them in prison, notice the soothsayers didn't go to jail. Those people that were trying to use that little demonic possessed girl, they didn't go to jail. The store owners that was hosting the rally, they didn't go to jail. Who went to jail? The preachers. The preachers. We are baffled and shocked that the preachers are the ones being attacked, that the Christians are the ones being attacked. It's always been that way. Until Jesus comes back, Satan's got the power over this world. And the preachers will be the one that suffer the persecution. The church will be the one that suffers persecution. Those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why is all this happening? Why is all this necessary? We would find out later that the magistrates let them go. That the magistrates let them leave. That the magistrates decided we don't need them anymore. The riots calmed down. It's going to cost more taxpayer money to keep feeding Paul and Silas down in that inner prison. Let them go. We know that end of the story. So why did all this have to take place? Why did Paul and Silas have to get attacked like this? Why did they have to be cast into prison? Let me tell you why. There was one man God was interested in. You read your Bible. The magistrates charged that jailer. They come to him and after this big riot's taking place and they muscle Paul and Silas out of there, they said, these men are your problem now. He brought, the magistrates didn't know what they were doing, but they brought the preachers to this man's doorstep and said, these men are yours. You keep them. You cuff them. You put them in stocks. You watch over them. They are yours. You mean to tell me all this was taking place because God was interested in one man? I can't find any other reason. Because they let him go. They arrested him. They let him go the next day. I can't find any other thing that ever came of this other than one man's life being changed. There was a man of the prison. Before we start really asking the question, are you a man of the house or are you a man of the prison? Are you a man of... Christ, are you a man of this world? Before we start asking this question, I want to under, want really help you to understand why men, why fathers, and this is a Sunday night message because this is something the church need to hear. Why fathers, why men are important to God. On Mother's Day, we talked about just how important mothers are. God used a mama every single time a dispensation has changed. God used a mama every time a king needed to be born. God used a mama every time a nation needed to be preserved. Every time a ruler needed to be rescued. He's always used a mama. But that doesn't exempt us daddies, does it? 
God is interested in dads. Here's some statistics from today why he's interested in dads. The Baptist press says, and according to data collected by the promise keepers in the Baptist press, say that if a father does not go to church, y'all hear me, if a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. If a father does go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults. If a father attends church irregularly, between half and two-thirds of their kids will attend church with some regularity as adults. So if you didn't catch that number, if daddy goes to church, if daddy goes to church, regardless of what mama does, two-thirds to three-quarters of their kids across the spectrum will go to church as adults. If daddy doesn't go to church and mama goes every Sunday, one in 50 will go to church of their kids. It gets better, worse. If a mother does not go to church, but a father does, a minimum of two-thirds of their children will end up attending church. In contrast, if a father does not go to church, but the mother does, on average, two-thirds of their children will not attend church. Another study focused on Sunday school found similar results with the impact of fathers. When both parents attend Bible study or Sunday school, in addition to the Sunday service, 72% of their children attend Sunday school when they're grown. I'm not talking about when you have to drag them and put them in the backseat of the car. I'm talking about when they grow up. So if both parents go to Bible study or Sunday school, in addition to Sunday morning service, 72% of their kids go to those when they're grown. When only the father attends Sunday school, 55%, that's over half, of the children attend those services when they're grown. But when only the mother attends Sunday school, only 15% of the children go when they're grown. When neither parent attends Sunday school, only 6% of the children attend when grown. So to summarize that, daddy goes to Sunday school, regardless of what the mother does, 55% of their kids will attend Sunday school. When just mama goes to Sunday school, 15%. All right. So you ask, who has the influence? All right. Who is still the head of the home, whether they admit it or not? Another survey found that if a child, this is the one I'm interested in, Another survey found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability that everyone in the household will follow. So we have a KFC ministry every week, and I'm all for it. I'm the biggest fan. I love it. I, want, I wish we could do it multiple times a week. But if one of those kids gets saved out there, which many have, there is only, according to statistics, God can do anything, but according to statistics, only 3.5% of their families will get saved if they get saved. 3%. That's worth it to me. If it was 0.5%, it'd be worth it. All right. But listen to this. I'm not saying that's not worth it, but listen to this. If the mother, okay, if mama is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17% chance that everyone in the house will follow. So if the kiddos are the first ones saved, there's a 3% chance that the house will follow, all right? And that's not a strange number. You don't normally see the, the whole house following what the kids are doing. If mama's the first one saved, that goes from 3% to 17%, all right? That's a good bump, you know, but still far from the majority. Hear this, church. However, when the father is the first person to receive Christ and become a Christian, there is a 93% 
probability everyone else in the house will follow if daddy gets saved first. God's interested in daddy. God's interested in daddy. And studies and number. I'm a numbers guy. I am a black and white guy. I said, what do the numbers tell me? Through all of these things that have been happening over the last months, what do the numbers tell me? That's what I'm going to look at. You can't argue with math. You can't argue with that they are infallible to the point when you look at them, they are what they are and you can't change them. All right, just like scripture, you look at, you can't change it. You can't manipulate it. Numbers and math work the same way. And the numbers say, when daddy gets saved, 93% out of the time, everyone gets saved. Everyone in the household comes to church. Everyone in the household hears the gospel. Everyone in the household, let me ask this question. And I'm not saying this to beat anybody up. How many active men's ministries do we see in our Baptist churches? Men's ministries. If that's the number, if 93% is the number, if when daddy gets saved, that is our best chance by 80%, that's our best chance. If daddy gets saved, our best chance at reading that whole home, our best chance at hearing, seeing that whole home come to church, our best chance at seeing that whole family get saved, our best chance at seeing that whole family come on Wednesday night and come on Sunday night and come on Sunday morning, our best chance that we have is to go after that daddy why aren't we? We have a monthly prayer breakfast here. And that's been extended to men and women. We have a weekly kids ministry here. Brother Ed, you go on crusades and preach all over the world to kids ministries and, and do family crusades and do these things. And that's amazing. That's something we have to do. But where is the targeted ministry saying, Dad, come here. Papa, come here. Brother, come here. There's a disconnect there. There's a disconnect there. And here in our book of Acts, God takes Paul and Silas and he puts them through this riot. He puts them through this whole uh, agenda. He puts them through this whole mess that they had to go to prison and they had to be arrested and they had to be embarrassed in front of this mom. They had to be screamed at and yelled at to go after one dad. If it's that important to God, I would submit, is it that important to Anchor of Hope? If it's that important to God to go after the daddies and go after the men of the world and go after the ones that are the decision makers and go after the ones that need the help the most and go after the ones that are missing, go after the ones that aren't there, if it's that important to God, is it important to us? And this is just food for thought. I'm not trying to incite a decision or birth a ministry. This is just what God's put on my heart. If it's that important to God to go after this one man, why is it important to us? We run buses to pick up kids. What do we do to reach out to the men of our community? And I'm not saying I have the golden answer. I do not. But he does. What if somebody here got under a burden for the men of Rossville, for the men of Ringgold, for the men of Chattanooga? And we were able to reach out and minister to the men in this area and minister and reach them with the gospel and reach out to the daddies and to the husbands and to the fathers and to the business owners and to the leaders in the community. If we were to reach out into the men, guess who's coming to church with them? Founded in stats and math and a promise from God, their families are coming. Their families are coming. But as we seek and look into this man, he was a man of the prison. Many of us. Flirt that line of being a man just like this. Look at verse number 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer. Number one, 
When you're a man of the prison, the bad guys have your phone number. When you're a man of the prison, the bad guys have your phone number. When they laid those stripes on Paul and Silas, when they beat them, when they scourged them, when they attacked them to quiet their mouths, to snuff out this riot, to give the people what they wanted, they called one man. They called this jailer and they said, we have a job for you to do. We have a, a, a message for you to squash. We have something that is so wicked and so despiteful that we want to accomplish. We want to arrest these preachers. We want to, and they called this man. When people in this world that aren't very good people, when people in this world that Satan uses, do they have your number? Are you somebody they call? Do you run with those that do? Are you in one of those circles, men? Do you find yourselves looking to try to attain yourself and get you? No, Brother Bryce, no, preacher. I don't, I don't have any affiliations with these evil and wicked men. Well, look deep because sometimes we don't realize it, but when the world needs some dirty work done, one of us might be on their caller ID to call and say, hey, this is what I need done. They ought to see your name on their phone and go, he's a Christian. Can't call him to do this. But this jailer, this man of the prison was at the top of their list. I need something terrible done. I need something done to these preachers. I need them hushed. I need them quieted. I need them put down in the lowest part of the jail. I need somebody to make sure that they're not going to speak. I need somebody to make sure they don't escape. I'm calling Mr. Jailer. When you're a man of the prison, the bad guys have your phone number. Secondly, the good guys, they fear your reputation. When this man heard the call of his masters, he was 100% devoted into diving right into it. He was 100% devoted into doing exactly what they said. He was 100% devoted to his career as Mr. Jailer Man. Look, what are you talking about? Look at verse number 23, 24. Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. When it came to his job as Mr. Jailer Man, as the man in the prison, as the one who was charged to silence these preachers, he went all out. He gave it 150%. He didn't just throw them in the first jail cell when you go in the door on the right. No, he took them down into the inner prison. He took them to the deepest, darkest, most nasty, uh, solitary confinement part of the prison you could find. And then once he got them there and he locked them in that cell, he didn't stop there. He went and he bound their feet. He went and he bound their hands. He went and put them in stocks where they couldn't move. They couldn't get comfortable. They wouldn't have been able to sleep well. They wouldn't have been able to eat well. They were being tortured by this man. And when you're a man of the prison, when you serve and only seek to please the men of this world and the places of this world and the powers of this world, the good guys, the preachers, the Christians will quickly begin to fear your reputation just like they did in the days gone by of Saul. He wreaked havoc of the church. And when you're a man of the prison, when you're a man who seeks to destroy, when you're a man who seeks to hurt, when you're a man who answers the call anytime somebody needs their dirty work done, when you're a man who only goes rushing and only gives your 100% when it involves your job or it involves your career, everything else you'll do half-heartedly. Everything else you'll do without a care in the world. But when it involves making money, when it involves pleasing the world, when it involves pleasing men, you're 100% on board. The bad guys will begin to fear your reputation. But then look what happens to him. God's interested in this. This is an evil, wicked, nasty man. Yeah. God was interested in him. God was there for him. What happened? Verse number 25. You fear your own suppositions. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison 
awaking out of his sleep. Here it is. And seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. A simple supposition. Jumping to a conclusion. He didn't know that the prisoners had fled. He didn't even take the time to go look and see if they were still there. He simply felt the earthquake. He awakened. He saw the door open. And now he feared the consequences of his life. He feared the consequences of what he had just messed up. He feared the consequences of something that wasn't his fault. This man of the prison, I hope you're hearing me tonight. This man of the prison got to the point where he realized that he had failed. And this failure was something he could not carry on. He wasn't worried about failing the family back home. He wasn't worried about asking him to work late. He stayed there all night. He was there doing the job that these men had called. He wasn't worried about failing the kids at the house. He wasn't worried about failing his wife. He wasn't worried about failing his marriage. He wasn't worried about failing God. Just the simple embarrassment of pride at him failing at his job had him ready to kill himself. Could we be in danger of being one of those men that the only thing we care about, the only thing we're in it for is our job, our career, our money, our bosses, those bad guys? Those good guys? Could we be in danger of being a man of the prison? That only thing we serve is ourselves and our world and our masters. He was ready to kill himself by jumping to a conclusion. He was ready to kill himself with a sword. Here comes that discernment of Paul again. Number one, the man of the prison. Lastly, you mean you're only going to give us a two-point sermon tonight? Amen. The man of the house. Look at verse number 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm. We'd find out here in a minute that it's dark. It's nighttime. It's midnight. All right. Paul's down in the inner prison. No doubt the, the jailer is probably somewhere a little bit more comfortable, probably somewhere a little bit more you know, spacious. For him. He's not in the jail cell. He, he's the prison keeper. He's the, he's the man of the prison. And he would, supposing he would have killed himself, there, there is no way in, in the world that this man would have checked the cells or anything. It says simply supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. He was ready to kill himself. And here's Paul down in this deepest, darkest hole of the prison at the farthest end of the hallway or on the, in the basement level or however the uh, prison was configured. Here's Paul rooms and rooms and rooms away, hundreds of feet away, and he says, do thyself no harm. You know what that was in Paul? It's the Holy Spirit of God going, here's, you. here's why you're here. Here's why you're here. That man out there, he's about to kill himself. That man out there, he's at the end of his rope. That man out there, I, th this is why you're here, Paul. Call out to him. Stop him. This is why you're here. He's reached a decision point. He's reached a point in his life where he can't go anywhere but down in his own mind. He can't go anywhere but down. He thinks that he's at the bottom of the barrel. He thinks that he's blown it. He thinks that he's failed it and he's about to kill himself. Paul, say something. And Paul says, do thyself no harm. That moment was the first time this man, maybe the first time, this man had ever heard somebody care about him. Somebody not wish ill toward him. He had gotten so blinded with his career. He got his so blinded with his, with his passion of serving those wicked men and serving those wicked masters and serving this wicked world. The moment he was about to end it all and somebody cared enough about him, let alone a prisoner that he had put in that cell, said, do thyself no harm. Notice the pathway that takes place here. Someone cares about me. Someone cares whether I'm here or not. I'm about to end this whole thing right now and somebody's trying to stop me. There's at least one person down that hallway. There's at least one person down in that basement that cares about me. Once he realized that, watch what happens next. 
the darkness isn't okay anymore. He says, do thyself no harm. And then the, the, the keeper of the prison. Then he called for a light. He would have been perfectly fine in the dark up until this point. Look at this. This is so. Well, yes, he called for a light. He didn't want to fall down the stairs. He didn't want to trip going around the corner. No, 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 no. This was the head honcho. This was the keeper of the prison. This was the man that served in this prison night after night after night. He would have known that prison like the back of his hand. He, especially in this emergency situation, if he wanted to go somewhere, he could have went there regardless if he had a light or not. But once he came to grips, once he realized the fact that there was a man down at the end of that hallway that cared about him, and there was a man down at the end of that hallway that wanted to speak the truth to him, he started looking for light. The darkness wasn't okay anymore. It was okay up until this point. He is perfectly happy in enjoying his darkness. Men love darkness rather than light. No, that's what the Bible says. He was perfectly okay with being in the dark. He was perfectly okay with saying, I, I don't believe nothing them preachers are saying. I'm just going to work. Here I am clocking in. Yes, sir. I'll put them in stocks. I'll put them in bonds. I'll make sure they don't go anywhere. I'll make sure. But you can trust me. I'm the best jail keeper this side of Mississippi. I'm the best jail keeper this south of Mason-Dixon line. I am the best jail keeper you've ever seen. Watch how good a job I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of these boys. They ain't going nowhere. And now that darkness isn't okay anymore. Once he hears, somebody cares about me. Someone cares about me. I need light. This darkness isn't okay anymore. I need light. I've got to find this man. I've got to find this message. I've got to get closer to whatever's inside of him. Whatever told him I was about to kill myself. Whatever told him I was about to end it all. Whatever's down at the end of that hallway. Whatever's down at the bottom of that basement. I've got to find it. And if I'm going to find it, I need some light. That's when the Holy Ghost goes, here it is. Here's your gospel track. No doubt Paul and Silas had already been singing and praising God. Imagine how much it's got, the volume's got turned up now. He's walking down that hallway. Amazing grace. He's getting closer. What is that they're singing? How sweet the sound. No doubt. He's walking down that hallway and he goes, it sounds like it's coming from around the corner. That saved a wretch. And he goes, like me. And he comes running in the door. Whoo. What does he say? What does he say? And brought to them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? All this for one man? Yep. Why? Why? Because now he had become a man of the house. Now he had become somebody that would no longer keep his family in prison that would no longer keep his family in the prison of career, that would no longer keep his family in the prison of money, that would no longer keep his family in the prison of serving worldliness and serving ungodliness, and no, would no longer keep his family in the prison of never knowing who Jesus was, never caring who Jesus was. This man, for the first time in his life, could do something that would make him a man of the house. And he says, what is it? What must I do? What must I do? Tell me. What must I do? You can imagine Paul. Shh, shh. Let me tell you, brother. Let me tell you. And 31. And they said, you can imagine, it says, and they said, doesn't it? It doesn't say Paul said or Silas said. Imagine them, both of them were so locked and loaded, they probably said, believe on the, at the same time. Then they looked over at each other and said, you know what, let's just go ahead and finish it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now, were they preaching the gospel here where if he agreed to the salvation that his whole family would be saved? No, no, no. Watch what happens. 
And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. He's the keeper of the prison. He said, I, well, of course I believe, but you got to come home and tell Junior. You got to come home and tell Mama. They're not going to believe they got a brand new daddy walking in these shoes. They're not going to believe that I was the man that left the house. They're not going to believe the change that's in me. Preacher man, you got to come home and you got to tell them about this. Preacher man, you got to come home and nothing will impact the family like daddy. And when daddy's changed, the family will change. But the daddy's got to be willing to ask the question Am I a man of the prison? Serving those wicked men, serving this wicked world, serving me, serving my career? Or am I the man of the house? Am I the man of the house that knows God wants to use me to make sure I'm ministering to my own home? Because I appreciate men that want to stand up and do this, and men that want to stand up and go here, and men that want to. But your ministry is your home. If your home is not in order, you have no ministry. You have no ministry if you aren't the man who follows God. You aren't just imprisoning yourself. You're imprisoning your whole house. If you aren't the man that follows God, you say, well, that's my decision. I don't have to follow God if I don't want to, but my kids can get on a bus and I don't have to follow God and my kids can go here and, and I don't have to follow God, but my kids can believe whatever they want and I don't have to follow... You are in danger of imprisoning your entire household. Because they're going to reach that decision time. They're going to reach that point where the Holy Spirit's dealing with them. They're going to reach that point where the Holy Spirit's calling them to do something. They're going to reach that point where God's beckoning with them saying, Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you living water. It will be in thy bosom a well springing up into everlasting life. And they're going to reach that point and they're going to have that question, what, what, what would my daddy say? What would my daddy do? And that'll be... Are you a man of the prison or are you a man of the house? Church, the men in our community need us. They don't deserve, they, they've left and they've run off and they've, yeah, but they need the church. They won't come to church. Can the church come to them? I don't have the grand idea. I don't have the great plan or the great vision. But God, I will say, has put a burden in my heart that if we don't reach the men of our community, if we don't reach the daddies of our community, we'll never get to them babies like we want to. We'll never get to them mamas like we want to. Imagine if we didn't have to run buses. Imagine if the daddies ran their own buses and called them minivans. That'll never happen, preacher. That'll never happen. It did right here. It did right here in the book of Acts. God went to that man. He sent his preachers to that man. He sent Paul and Silas to that man. And it may have been through some crazy circumstances, but God went to where he was, just like he went to where you were, just like you came to where I was, and he saved his ever-dying soul, just like he saved your ever-dying soul, just like he rescued you and he rescued me. And God is interested in the dads and God is interested in the men's, and they will have to come to the decision, are they a man of the prison or are they a man of the house? And if they don't have a church to look to, if they don't have a preacher to help them, if they don't have a brother that will simply come alongside them, if they have no men in their life that are interested in them like Paul and Silas were interested in that jailer if they don't have that one voice to call out and say do thyself no harm where will they go back to the bar back to the club back with the gang back out with the boys because they don't have anybody calling from down the hall saying 
there's somebody over here that cares about you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the men you've blessed us with in this church. Thank you for some great spiritual men you've given me in this walk at this place at this, with this family to lead me and to guide me and to direct me. But God, thank you for being the shoes I walk behind. Thank you for being the feet I seek to follow. And God, I see here in your scripture, I see here in your blessed book, I see here in the holy writ of God, I see here in the word of God that you were interested in that jailer. You were interested in that one man. You were interested in that one soul, that one father, so that he could be a light to his house. And God, I see our community. I see our community and the dads are off the scene. The dads are missing. The dads are gone. The dads have ran. The dads have cowered away, but that does not mean they are not loved by you. God, how a community could change if a bunch of fathers got right with you how much how a community could change if a bunch of fathers came back and heard the gospel and heard about your forgiveness and your grace God and walk with you and talk with you what if there was a church willing to be the vessel to be used to reach out to men in this community God I pray and I ask that you use this message that you put a burden in somebody's heart God give us an idea God give us a burden give us a passion give us something that we can use to march forward and help this community and be a light to this community and see many souls saved for the cause of Christ God I pray and I ask these things in Jesus name be with us as we travel home. Amen. Amen.